Hello, and welcome to The Appetite, a podcast brought to you by Opal Food and Body Wisdom, an eating disorder treatment center in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Carter Umhow, a therapist, artist, and writer. Today, I'm going to be joined by clinical director of Opal, Kara Bazzi, who is also the director of our sport and exercise program. Before we get started, please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And we'd also love it so much if you begin following our Instagram. We have a new Instagram and it's at Opal Food and Body. Very easy to find. So follow along there for updates about the podcast and little reflections from us. Okay. 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 <laughs> it's been a little while. I feel performance anxiety, yeah. which is probably the point of this conversation. Yes. Um, so That's we're talking right. about perfectionism today. And I think particularly at the beginning of the year, there's so many people, myself included, that have been more in a reflective state about kind of who I want to be and mm-hmm. what resolutions I want to set for the year. Some people have really specific goals, like they're going to suddenly work out or change their diet. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, <laughs> a few months into the year or earlier, who knows, mm-hmm. Most of those resolutions, most of those goals fall by the wayside. Exactly. What are the things, Kara, that you feel are contributing when we talk about like goal setting and that kind of failure? What mm-hmm. what are the contributing factors there? Yeah, it's interesting thinking of this conversation in light of New Year's resolutions because just the idea of what goes behind setting a goal, what motivates us to make a change in our life. And then what happens if we don't achieve the goal? And I think that's where we're going to focus a bit on our conversation, Mm -hmm. right? Essentially, how hard are we on ourselves and where might we have perfectionism kind of lingering? Mm -hmm. And the new year is a really particular time where I think that people probably could lean into perfectionism even when that might not be their normal tendency. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of both a perfectionist and very much not one, I think maybe because I'm more avoidant. Mm -hmm. But around the new year, I'm wanting to be more reflective. I'm wanting to say, you know what, this thing matters to me. I'm going to like put my all into it right now. Mm -hmm. So it gives that opportunity to really go for something Mm -hmm. with this new fresh start, which really can lead to the expectation of a lot of perfectionism. Well, do you or even listeners, do you know like when perfectionism is at play? Like how can you tell that you have like a perfectionistic part as you're trying to achieve a goal? Yeah, I think that's a good question. Obviously, I've talked about this subject some before, but I still even am like confused obviously about if I am perfectionistic or not because I'm messy and disorganized. Yeah. But. That still, you still could have perfectionism. Exactly. Yes. So will you kind of spell yeah, that out? Yeah, so the way that we talk about it at Opal is that perfectionism really has two dimensions to it. And one is setting and striving for high personal standards. And the second is the tendency towards self-criticism. And so those are important dimensions because the setting and striving for high personal standards is actually a really wonderful thing. If somebody is interested in growing then it helps motivate people to to work hard and to achieve things. But the second part, the tendency towards self-criticism, is really where there can be a lot of harm in that in that perfectionistic mindset. Well, I I bet we have pretty different ways of doing things. Yeah. I'm just from, you know, guessing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're describing that, I think again about like, well, I'm messy or I'm disorganized. And so when you said really high standards. Yeah. It's interesting because that doesn't necessarily match to a particular action. 
Mm-hmm. So I could have a really high standard but not necessarily do anything about it. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, and oftentimes yeah. avoidance is rooted in perfectionism. Like one of the things we talk about in our rethinking exercise and sport group is a lot of people actually avoid movement. And the reason they're avoiding it is because of their perfectionism. So oftentimes people might say they're avoiding because they're disinterested or maybe even lazy. That's a lot of times the judgment. But that's actually often rooted in perfectionism, the criticism of being lazy. I'm, oh, I'm horrible. I'm lazy. And therefore, I'm not going to go move my body or go for that walk or, you know, go to the gym or et cetera. Mm -hmm. And maybe that lazy judgment might be in comparison to some other expectation or something that you're seeing other people do. So often in, yeah, in a perfectionistic mindset, there's the comparison towards other people. If I'm seeing a difference between me and my friend, I'm Mm -hmm. evaluating myself as less than. So because my friend goes for a run every day, if I can't do that, I'm less than. And therefore, there can be a lot of negative self-talk. And that could even lead someone to not moving their body because they can't measure up Mm -hmm. to the other person. And I'm struck by how much that would probably lead to a different sense of identity. Yeah. So you're a runner because you're running every day, but I can't run every day, so therefore I'm lazy. Therefore, right. I'm definitely not a mover, not a runner. I couldn't do that. Right. Whereas there's a middle ground. Right. <laughs> and it's and and if you think about just even you saying that, it's actually really sad because if you're not measuring up and therefore kind of counting yourself out of the game, like I can't call myself this anymore, um, and it doesn't leave room for doing something because you desire it or it's pleasurable or that it is aligned with something that you value. It's more <laughs> like you're doing it or not doing it purely out of kind of an achievement, am I good at it type rubric, which imagine how narrow that would become and how many things we would kind of pull ourselves out of the game, and so to speak. I'm having one of those moments where I'm feeling so resonant with that. Things yeah. are kind of clicking. I had a conversation with my partner last night and kind of started realizing that I will totally choose to do something only out of logistics mm. rather than seeking pleasure sometimes. Mm. Not all the time. But if the logistics aren't totally lined up well, that will win the day. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, just a, an interesting question is how much do we do things in our life because we want to? Because it is something that we actually find pleasure in. So you are, I mean, you use this example of being a runner, but mm-hmm. you were a collegiate athlete. Mm-hmm. And you've talked before on the podcast about your story of developing an eating disorder during that time. And so I find myself curious about kind of how you would speak about perfectionism in your particular relationship to movement yeah, over the years? Because I'm sure it's changed so oh, much, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think that's one of my excitements about bringing this conversation into our podcast is I do believe there is a lot of hope that people can shift from a, away from a perfectionistic mentality. And that is something that I've seen occur in my own healing work. Historically, there was so much perfectionism with sport. And Actually, one thing as I was reflecting on our conversation, I was thinking about my experience with basketball, actually, because basketball was the sport I was really invested in and cared a lot about in high school. And truly, I think perfectionism is really what took away the joy of the sport and why I actually quit. 
and I was on my path to playing college basketball. Wow. But because of my fear of failure and my fear of disappointing my coach, I really started to have some major performance anxiety and my performance completely suffered. My freshman year of high school, I was starting to swing into varsity. And by my senior year, I was on the bench in varsity because I just like the the amount of pressure I put on myself, the amount of fear I had about screwing up and kind of ruining games for the team. It just paralyzed me to some degree where then my performance was terrible and it was it wasn't fun playing. So it's interesting because I quit basketball, didn't touch a basketball for years and then I would say about 4 years ago we started an Opal Owl basketball team <laughs> and it was some of our employees playing and then we brought in other people from the community and actually two of my high school basketball friends oh, came cool. onto the team. And wow, what a place of experimentation for me around perfectionism, because I knew that actually, if I think of all the sports, basketball brings me the most pleasure, Mm. but because of the perfectionism, it wasn't fun. It led to being pretty uh, miserable in high school. And so Mm. it's been so fun to approach it in such a different way where, I mean, and I've had to work it through of like, what do I do if I start to perform poorly in in the game? And, And especially with if I get into a game and I'm missing a lot of my shots or people are stealing it from me or, you know, like I just feel like I'm messing up. How do I move forward in that in a game? And before I think I would have been super self-conscious and get in my head and then you'd see it kind of affect the rest of the game. But now I'm able to let go and move on. I think moving on from mistakes and also just realizing that you make mistakes in a game like that often. And so that's part of the game And to not just get so critical, but to be able to just keep playing and get it next time. You know, that kind of mentality of it's okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not horrible. (laughs) I was just remembering my own basketball career as you were talking, which was short-lived, but full of passion. And I played when I was in elementary school. And then in middle school, I was able to try out for either the A team or the B team. Mm And I made the B team and promptly quit. Mm-hmm. And I i mean, it, it was one of the only sports I think that I actually did find pleasure in at that point, yeah. but really felt so ashamed when I didn't make the good team because I cared about it so yes. much. I cared about it so much. And then suddenly had this confirmation that maybe I wasn't so good, actually. Yeah. And it's exciting to think about as an adult. I don't know if I find the interest in doing basketball right now, but mm-hmm. to think about those places where maybe... I have shut myself down or other people would shut themselves down because they learned, oh, I'm not great at that. Or I feel too much anger when I do that or too much shame or I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm going to resist. Totally. It it really limits the amount of pleasure or connection that you could get from something. And the hard part, like you're saying, when it's something that you actually care about, then perfectionism can likely show up more there, which yeah. is unfortunate, right? Because if yeah. we, we care about it, we and ideally, we'd want to be able to do that regardless of mm-hmm. if we're making mistakes or not. I even think of like outing myself with this episode. I, this is a topic that I care about a lot, yeah. feels near and dear to my heart. And so here I'm noticing as I was preparing for it, I was feeling some of my perfectionistic mindset come in of, come on, Kara, pull, <laughs> pull this together, make it, you know, make this a good episode. And I even thought, oh, maybe I'll just tell Carter, never mind, let's not do this oh. topic. <laughs> Because I, I I had more expectation of it because mm-hmm. I care about this, right? And so even in, in 
approaching this episode, I had to remind myself, well, have fun, you know, enjoy this, enjoy the conversation with Carter, because this is something you do care about and you don't want to avoid it because of you're afraid that you're going to say something stupid or it's not going to make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's so much loss when you avoid something like that because it's maybe not going to go so well Mm -hmm. and you want to do it perfectly. Yeah. As we've been talking about this and and discussing kind of the inherent mistakes that are going to come up, I feel curious, do you kind of look back on your life and think of one mistake that was maybe the best mistake you ever made? Mm. One thing that comes to mind when I think of something I didn't achieve that actually really helped me in the long run, when I was in graduate school, I really felt interested in becoming an eating disorder therapist. Like I, I wanted to work with people with eating disorders. And so when I interviewed for my internship site, there was one internship site at a university setting that I would have the opportunity to work with people with eating disorders. And I didn't get that internship. Um, and instead I got a youth and family, I, I was working at a youth and family agency and I was pretty crushed by that. Does that mean that, I, you know, they don't see that I could work well with college students mm-hmm. Here, my perfectionistic critical voice was coming in of like, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm really only good with kids and that's, that's the direction I need to go. I don't know. I think that was a really good experience of not getting something that I wanted. And, Instead of just letting other people tell me that or like what I perceived other people telling me that I was only going to be good with working with children, I did really look internally and say, no, you know, I really want to work with people that are suffering from eating disorders. And even if that's not where my quote unquote talent lies, that's what I actually want to do. So to have to be kind of faced with that decision of not getting affirmed for my quote unquote giftedness or competency but still having to make the choice of doing what I wanted. I think that was a really important formative lesson for me because I was, you know, up until that point, I was pretty affirmed for what I was doing in school and sports. I got a lot of external validation. And so that was a lesson that I've taken with me of how to how to approach something that I'm not, quote unquote, achieving or getting what I want. That goes back to that identity piece of... Mm -hmm having that easy success or easy talent in certain things where you were being recognized easily um, or often. I don't know if it was easy, but you were getting used to that maybe, that there might be some identity around, oh, I'm good at stuff. (laughs) I'm good at things. I can do things easily. And so to choose something that doesn't necessarily fit in that performative category but is still in line with your values must have been a huge risk. Right. One of the topics we talk about in especially in rethinking exercise and sport is what is the alternative path to perfectionism we call it excellence and that is a much more process oriented approach versus an outcome oriented approach and in the excellence approach it it does ask the question like part of your self-talk is what do you want and what do you wish and what would you like versus you have to do this thing it has to be this way Mm. feels like a you know I mean on the one hand perfectionism can have this feeling of being like a drill sergeant like you gotta do it (laughs) it's gotta be this way and it's very critical and harsh and I think people have seen that that can motivate you towards achieving goals and yet I think that with with this other way of doing it from a more excellence mindset, you can still care and want to achieve, but it's done in a much more process-oriented, compassionate lens. That takes us back to resolutions, or at least mm. in my mind it does, to 
think about the desire that maybe is there to have some change in your life or to try a new thing or whatever it is that inspires someone to create a resolution, that often starts with that desire or an intention or a value. Mm -hmm. And to be the drill sergeant and show up every morning and make yourself suddenly perform in a particular way or integrate something into your life that really is not going to naturally fit. Right. (laughs) All those things, there's going to be so much difficulty in that. Mm -hmm. But if you're in line with a value, like, I want this. I really want to change. I really want to try this new thing this year. Mm -hmm. It becomes more of an intention and kind of a North Star that you can live your life toward Mm -hmm. knowing that you're constantly in progress and you're in process Mm -hmm. with yourself rather than, like, you need to be perfect already. This needs to be everything already. Right. And that seems more of a pursuit of excellence in the sense of kind of a pursuit of value. Right. And being in line with who you want to be. That kind of drill sergeant you have to, it can work in the short term, but we don't usually see sustainable change. And I think that's where those New Year's resolutions often fall flat and fall Mm -hmm. short is because the approach to it might be successful for just a little while. And with diets in general, which of course happen a lot, I think, around Mm -hmm. the new year, but in general, I think I've heard language around people wanting to start a diet as, you know, really wanting to be treating themselves better, Mm -hmm. which is a lovely intention. But if it becomes a set of rules that you have to follow, that you're going to do all these things, then you're actually losing yourself along the way. Right. You know, one of my goals, I think, will be to continue to try and write a lot in the morning time. That's a value of mine. But If I'm trying to do that every single day without the intention of like, am I connected? Did I actually get enough sleep to wake up right now Mm -hmm. and do that? Or, you know, do I need to do some other things right now? Or when it comes to food, like, actually, do I just really want to eat this right now rather than this? If you're not listening, the goal itself is not very well fit Mm -hmm. for your own humanity Mm -hmm. or your own life. Mm -hmm. And that's where there's a lot of space for integrating that excellence and deep listening. Mm -hmm. Well, and in that case, Carter, I wonder like what you might tell yourself on a morning that you don't write. Mm. What would be the self-talk? It could go a couple different ways. And and to to kind of flesh that out a little bit more, when I was younger, I did write every single morning Mm -hmm. as a perfectionist for three pages. It was inspired by Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, where this kind of practice of morning pages where it's just stream of consciousness writing. Got the idea when I was 18 and I did it for years, every single morning, Mm -hmm. obsessively, Mm -hmm. (laughs) obsessively. So I remember I was living near a bunch of friends when I was living in Greece and, you know, we were neighbors. A friend knocked on my door in the morning. I was like, let's go get brunch, you know, or let's go to the beach. I'm like, nope, nope, can't. I got to do my writing. I got to do my writing first. And the intention was that it was supposed to connect me. But when it was that rigid, it absolutely restricted me. Mm-hmm. I feel proud that I did that. I really do. It offered me something. The consistency of it offered me something. But integrating that into my life has been really hard to mm-hmm. actually integrate rather than just drill started my way through. Right. So I've noticed that I want it. Mm-hmm. I want to wake up and do that. And so on the mornings that I am not waking up and the mornings for the last few years, it's like, all of them mostly, <laughs> like a handful here and there if I'm on vacation, but yeah. mostly I'm not doing that. 
so I think the conversation has mostly been like, you know what? Ugh, I can't wake up earlier. And that's the avoidant, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. But as I pursue the intention of getting back into that rhythm, my conversation with myself is and will continue to be like, okay, Carter, how are you feeling this morning? Okay, maybe you need this. Maybe you need 20 extra minutes of sleep in order to do your day well. But do you think that writing could also help? Would that be another version of caring for yourself well today? Mm-hmm. And the answer would be different depending on the day. Some days I might not feel like doing it at all. And there would be the conversation in my head of like, okay, you don't want to do this. But if you don't want to do this today and then you feel more resistant to it tomorrow, is it just going to get harder and harder? Maybe mm-hmm. you could push yourself and try today. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a back and forth. And then really watching myself notice the impact of not writing for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. If I if I do avoid that desire, does it have a negative impact? Mm-hmm. Can I then get more tuned again to say, oh, I've missed it. Mm-hmm. I want to do it again today. I didn't do it all week, but I want to today. You know, mm-hmm. like allow myself the freedom to do it when I want, mm-hmm. which I trust will be sometimes. Right. Yeah, it's so interesting hearing you talk about it as in the writing process because I think that translates well to what we've heard a lot with people with like exercise yeah. or sport of being in a position at times in their history where they're so such a drill sergeant and doing it all the time and very rigid um, and obsessive and compulsive about it. And then going through these periods of avoidance and really thinking, asking the question, do I even like this because of of how challenging it was in the time when it was so rigid? And Mm -hmm. so I love what you're saying because you're trusting that you do want it. Yeah. And so trying to be able to relate to it in a way that there's more freedom to allow it to be different than kind of that rigid way. Yeah. Um, but also trying to shift away from the avoidance. Yeah. It's so, tricky. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a really hard, yeah. it's really hard. It takes a lot of attunement. It does. And I do actually feel that way currently with exercise as mm-hmm. someone that was definitely really rigid and more of an addictive personality when I was younger. I was all in mm-hmm. or not at all. Yeah. And I have chronic back pain. And so now it's a much more complicated thing where even if I don't feel like exercising, I know that it will feel good or the cumulative effect of not doing it will actually cause a lot of pain. Mm -hmm. And so it's about asking myself, like, what do I need? What do I want right now? And trusting that if I'm really listening, there will be some answer that Mm -hmm. says rest. Mm -hmm. And there will be an answer some days that say, actually, I do want to go work out right now. I'd love that. Let's do it. And some days where it's kind of a mix of in between of just discipline to show up to totally. make sure that I'm managing my back pain. Because sometimes know? it is knowing oneself in the yeah. In, and even if you're not driven by the question I want, I wish, I would like, it's the knowing if I do this, this will come from it. And so I'm I'm going to be doing this in anticipation of like it will feel good once yeah. I'm out there. Yeah. Are there ways that you talk to yourself that you would add to Kind of this conversation? Yeah, it's, I, I, you know, I was thinking again with what I was experimenting with, with coming back into basketball. And I remember those first games, there was definitely the, the very harsh voice of, this is embarrassing. Get off the court, Kara. You're really stinking it up. (laughs) Um, And feeling a lot of shame, especially I noticed if there was anybody in the gym watching our games, like that was particularly heightened of just like, now I have an audience and I'm, I'm doing terrible. But what I've done, what I've kind of worked on is because I I know how much I love it 
that's what I want to be kind of, I want the pleasure to be the dominant experience of the basketball games. And we've, it's been neat because we've lost a lot of games. And so I've had to have tons of exposure to losing, oh. which that was kind of a, new I mean, that thing. was new. You've been on in my sport teams. history. I've, yeah, had a lot of wins. <laughs> and so to lose over and over and over again, it's kind of just taken the power out of losing. So I still like to win. I mean, I'm, I'm still competitive and I, I want to win, <laughs> but I, I don't, I'm not as afraid of losing. I'm not as afraid of missing bat, like missing my shots. I'm not as afraid of when somebody dominates me, if whoever's guarding me. I think instead of like kind of in my head saying you're terrible, this is embarrassing, get off the court. People are going to think you're horrible. <laughs> it's the talk more is you got this. Like there's, you keep shooting. Sometimes it'll sink at some point. Like you're going to make them, you're going to lose some baskets. You're going to, you're going to make some get this next time. Kind of play to my strengths is another thing. Instead of trying to be everything on the court. Like I know that what my strengths are on the court and just recognizing that and focusing a bit more on what I can do there. Encouraging my other teammates is another way to kind of get out of my self-criticism like literally going through the action of cheering, Mm. putting a smile on my face when I'm playing. Like that was something I did. Interacting with the refs was another thing I was having fun and playing around with. We brought my girls to the game. And so having them cheer and kind of get into the spirit of it. There's been a lot of fun things to play around with if I'm not just fixated on my specific mistakes. It sounds like such a fuller experience. Oh, it's so much more full. Yeah. And so fun. It's the, now the thing I like look forward to the most in the week is going to my basketball game. Wow. Cause I love it. Wow. Yeah. That's a remarkable accomplishment to have something like that in life. Yeah. Where it, I mean, first of all, was something that was painful before. Right. But just in and of itself to feel like you're that excited for an experience that does include performance and Totally. Winning and scores. (laughs) And I I really quit it. You know, I I think there was so much pain that I quit it. And and so I guess even for listeners, too, like, I just wonder what things maybe you all have, you know, stepped away from or, or quit or gave up because because of some of these reasons. And I guess, I, yeah, I just wonder if there's things to consider to move back towards the things that you like, things that brought joy at one point, but then got kind of mixed into this performance painful zone and and wondering if there there might be something to re kind of look at mm-hmm. like exactly like even what you're saying with your writing too yeah. just what are the things that mean something but have been lost a yeah little. lost yeah. lost along the way the performance aspect of perfection I think is something to think about um, in terms of people's avoidance or people's desire for success I think I would encourage people to also ask and reflect on how has this action or how has this perfectionism, how has this success served me well in my life? What have I gotten from it? Is it about pleasure? Likely not. It's maybe been about feeling worthwhile or feeling lovable or feeling like you are going to be okay in life if you're able to succeed at one thing really perfectly. You know, it, there's so much that goes into that around identity. So, If you're able to do some work around kind of breaking all of that meaning making up and allowing your lovability and your pursuit of basketball to be Mm. separate, I think that there's some really important work there because I don't think it's going to be easy to to let go of perfectionism or to embrace mistakes if your Your worth is in it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's a big question. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because how could you just, for me, how could I just sit down and 
enjoy writing? How would I ever be attuned to the fact right. that I want to do that if that much was on the line every time? Yeah. If your worth, yeah, is writing so much on something, it's it's really difficult to have freedom to, yeah. s- to screw it up and to have a, just a growth process around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, back to the like self-talk, mm-hmm. another opportunity to really come with compassion toward yourself to mm. say, okay, yeah, I, I really want this to go well and mm. it might not. And I, I want people to like what I write or I want people to think, oh, I'm so good at the sport. But like, why is that? Is it because it matters to me so much? Well, then let's pursue the fact that it matters or let's pursue the fact that I'm lacking connection right now and needing some recognition. You know, mm-hmm. like let's let's actually go to the source there rather than fusing all bits of our life to this like pursuit of right being perfect. Uh, one thing too, just for for listeners who this really this topic really resonates with you, a resource that is really fabulous if you haven't heard of her already is Carol Dweck, and she is a professor at Stanford, and she's done um, research around the fixed versus growth mindset. We'll write in our show sheet a link to her book. She has done fabulous work, especially around parenting and and youth. I was looking at a couple of things she she wrote, and I want to read one of her quotes. In a growth mindset, challenges are exciting rather than threatening. So rather than thinking, oh, I'm going to re- reveal my weaknesses, you say, wow, here's a chance to grow. And I know for me, wow, that that has been a, a long time of, of work to get to the place that I can see my weaknesses in that way. And so I hope that that provides some some encouragement, or at least if, if that's something that you resonate, that that could be a possibility in your, in your life. Thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you to Jack Straw Cultural Center for sound engineering, to Aaron Davidson for the Appetite's original music, and to Large Media. Okay, now I'm going to get the giggles. Okay. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> what is it? What do I say? What is the last thing? Um, if you haven't already, just another reminder to subscribe so you're up to date on the podcast um, and follow along on opalfoodandbody.com. And you can follow along Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk to you next time. <laughs>